I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I don't have a willy. I haven't got a willy. I mean, it's just Columbo. This week's Failed Critics Podcast, where it is a welcome return to a James Bond special with the release of Spectre. We'll be reviewing that film as well as a induction to our Corridor of Praise for the character of James Bond himself. I'm Steve Norman, joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Tony Black. How you doing, all right? And Brian Plank. Good afternoon. Hello. Welcome back, guys. It's been too long. Mm. It's been a while. Yeah, you've been off reinventing yourself, Tony, since since we last spoke. Yes, now I have um, 80s hair. I wear different clothes. No, I um, yeah, <laughs> I've come up with a new a new podcast. Yeah, it's to replace my old black hole cinema one. Pick a flick. It's a catchy <laughs> title. I like it. Yeah, thank you. It, it was one that I wasn't at first sure about. We went through quite a few different iterations of it actually, uh, coming up with ideas. At one point, it was high concept. And it was going to be all about high concept movies. And I quite like Sean Bean dies at the end, but that would have been quite prescriptive. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's going well so far. It's quite a nice, simple premise and people seem to be taking to it. So, yeah. Are you, are you right. four episodes in now? Is the fourth out this week? Yeah, fourth out tomorrow. Well, as of when we're recording tomorrow, so yeah. Wednesday. Um, we've got another one we're already recorded and we're recording another one in a couple of days. So, yeah, yeah, there's, there's quite a few... Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's going all right. Thank you. Awesome. And Brian, you're back. We've invited you back after torturing you with Fantastic Four. That was the last film we sent you to see. <laughs> it wasn't torture. I got a lot of things out that needed to come out. Mm. So yeah. it was good fun. This will be a different sort of pod because Spectre wasn't that bad. Nothing is that bad. Nothing is that bad, quite. Exactly. Yeah. But um, great. Uh, this is all quite nice and friendly before I rip into Steve and call him all kinds of names after Oh, I... yes, because I, <laughs> I won the quiz last week and made Owen watch a different kind of crime-solving man than James Bond, and that is Columbo. I gave you a, a <laughs> range of Columbo films to choose to watch. Uh, which one did you go for and why did you pick that one? Okay, so <laughs> you gave yeah you gave me a range of them. I had a look at what was on the planner and um, I chose Columbo, A Deadly State of Mind. It was on Channel 5 on Saturday afternoon. Um, the reason I chose it was it was the shortest, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I took a look at how long each of them were, were on for and that seemed to be just about the shortest one. So, so that's Well, what you I know what's going to happen if I win the next quiz then. I'm going to find <laughs> the longest Columbo for you to yeah. watch. <laughs> 
Fantastic. Or I um, might just move on to feature-length murder she wrote. <laughs> well, the Whoa. thing is, the thing is, right, A Deadly State of Mind, all of the, the Columbo films that were on at the weekend weren't, they're not really movies. It's the sixth episode of the fourth season of Columbo, which was released <laughs> in 1975. But it is kind of feature-length in a way. It's 70 minutes, which is just about on the cusp of being a feature-length film. But it is kind of still completely self-contained. It's got its own title. It's not It's not actually part of a serial. You know, there's no... Well, it is a serial. There's no, there's no overarching story. There's no, like, just, previously on Columbo. Nothing like that. No. <laughs> it's not a continuation of anything else. Um, it's like so, where he says, oh, and one more thing. And then <laughs> freeze frame. And it's credits. <laughs> What's going to happen oh. next? <laughs> Tune in next week for... No, there's nothing like that. The plot pretty much revolves around this arrogant psychiatrist fella. Also a hypnotist, I think. It's a slightly confusing... Wow. Yeah, it's a 1970s version of a psychiatrist who hypnotises Claire. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he has an affair with a patient and then kills her husband. And together they try and cover up their crime. Uh, with a series By of hypnotising everyone. No. <laughs> you know, of course, Lieutenant Columbo can unravel the truth behind the lies as he uses his logic to work things out. He's um, immune he to hypnotism. He doesn't. They yeah. don't. He doesn't try to hypnotise him. He only hypnotises this woman, who he's having an affair. It's a waste of a hypnotist. I know. Does All he, that power, he, and he, he only uses it for evil once. Does he but... hypnotise her into having the affair with him? Or does, uh, does that start first and then she gets hypnotised? It's kind of a grey area. It's, a, it's, it's slightly... <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, think it's for the, I think it's for the best. Yeah. But to be honest, it's just like every episode of Columbo ever made. Is it good? I mean, it's just Columbo. Is it bad? It's Columbo. Would I recommend it? It's Columbo. I, I mean, would I watch it again? It's Columbo. It's just like, to be honest... Give it a week. I won't even fucking remember it. It's just. Um, can, wait, can you wait. can you start like uh, reviewing sorry, uh, films with it's Columbo? It's Columbo. As, as you, as you're, yeah, it's Columbo. You know, just mm. either good or bad. It's Columbo. Wait. Are you complaining about a series of films being episodic and predictable when we're talking about James Bond? <laughs> well, well, wait till you get to There's the a big James Bond checklist for what appears. Yeah. Same thing for Columbo. They're two sides of the same coin, aren't they, really? In a way, yeah. I suppose. I mean, although, you know, there's kind of like... With Columbo, people who like Columbo will like this. People who don't give a fucking one iota of a shit about Columbo, like me, won't like it. Because it's just fucking Columbo. quantum of a shit. Yeah, what, not, one, what, not one iota. Not a quantum of shit. Did you know, did you know, and Steve, you seem to be like well into your Columbo, so you probably know this. Did you know? <laughs> no, I just tell it to infuriate it. <laughs> did you know there was, there was a spin off called Mrs. Columbo? No. no. What? Yeah. Was it Mrs. Columbo? His actual wife. Uh, <laughs> that would have been brilliant. It, it, it starred Ooh. Kate Mulgrew, who was Captain yeah, Catherine that's Janeway. The one in his wife, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Was she playing his wife? Well, I don't know it well enough. Yeah, but she had her own series. I think she was his wife in one episode. Right. Okay. That was it then. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There's only there was only one part of a, a deadly state of mind that I found kind of memorable, and I'll just try and explain it to you and see what your reaction is. Because at one point, the characters they're in um, a lab, and at the lab there's this rat in a maze because it's an animal behaviour laboratory, and uh, let's call him the newspaper guy who's there for one scene, he sees this 
this lab rat in the maze and he says it looks just like one of my junior editors so you get it because it's a rat in a maze and ha 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 isn't it yeah. funny so then the scientist who's there replies with oh we call her willy so the newspaper guy says i'm sorry i don't have a willy <laughs> i mean what the fuck it doesn't make sense in the context of it. It's not like a sentence that flows from the last one. It's just this really... I don't know if it's like... I, I, no, it has to be an intentional joke for, to get him to say, I don't have a willy. Because it's just purposeless otherwise. There's no reason for that to be in you, there. You see, that would make me, that would make me laugh. I'm, I'm childish and, and small-brained enough that that would make me laugh. A man going, I haven't got a willy. It, it, it wouldn't matter what context it was in. I would I laugh. Mean, I, I thought I misheard it. I rewound it three times to listen to it. To go, is that really what you just said? That I don't have a willy? But yeah, that's what it was. And then I checked on the quotes and yep, that is what he says. I don't have a willy. So, Brilliant. Did you yeah. did you make your, your good lady partner suffer through this as well? No, I watched it when she was out. I thought she isn't going to sit through this. I'm, tr- I'm dragging her to a two and a half hour long Bond film this week. So she isn't going to want to sit around and watch an extra... <laughs> Aaron, twenty minutes of Columbo, but um, yeah, pick, well, pick your battles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so overall, it's kind of rubbish, but it's Columbo. It's contrived. It's boring. <laughs> it's uh, it's ridiculous. It's Columbo. And it's Columbo. Situations, but it's Columbo. It's Columbo. Yeah. Oh, murder! I'm telling that, you, it's um, up on the poster in huge letters. <laughs> it's Columbo, <laughs> and all the trades are coming. That's all you need to sell it. Yeah, they can have that for the uh, that quote for the um, box set, the Blu-ray box set, whenever it gets released. And just stick that. <laughs> what's the, what's the one? What's the one with? Um, <laughs> what's the one with Dick Van Dyke playing a crime crime fighting doctor? Is it diagnosis murder? Yeah, that's it. Right. So next time I win the quiz, it's either a feature length murder she wrote or a feature length diagnosis murder. I'm going to change the rules. I think it's got to be theatrically released. <laughs> <laughs> I will buy a cinema and show it. <laughs> You'd probably Just get some surprising amount of people yeah, go to that show, weirdly yeah. enough. Yeah. Anyway, should we do the actual quiz? Let's. Yep. <laughs> the, the quiz this week is not... I was going to do one that was Columbo-themed, but I was losing the will to live. So we've just done one that is Bond-themed because of Spectre being our main review. So the way it's going to work, it's obviously, as always, Steve, you're on your own. And Tony, Brian, you two are going to work together as a team. Three questions each. And then whoever gets the most wins, basically. Let's start with Steve. Yo. At 38 years old, Daniel Craig was the first actor to play 007, who was younger than the film franchise was itself. But... Who was the actual youngest actor to play James Bond? Was it A, George Lazenby, B, Sean Connery, or C, Timothy Dalton? Well, see, the downfall of this quiz is I've had to research Bond semi-extensively for the Corridor of Praise. Yeah. And I know the answer is, at the age of 30, George Lazenby. Bastard, yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me the name of the film it was, though? Um, not off the top of my head, no. Tony, you must know this. I know. Uh, yeah, on, on a Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. And the year? That's not, the, that's not their question, though, is it? 1969. No. Yeah. That was a little bit of extra humiliation for you, Steve. Oh. You got the, the, the name, but not the film or the year. So well done, Tony and Brian. 
Thank you. But that's not. Is that their actual question? Do they get a point no, there? No, that is fine. No, we get that's, that's We get respect. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Did you know this actually? Just to throw in an extra bit of trivia about Timothy Dalton in The Living Daylights uh, in 1987, he was either 43 years old or 41 years old because his date of birth is disputed, apparently. He was either, <laughs> he was either born in March like 1944, yeah, either March 1944 or March 1946. That why, doesn't anyone, why doesn't anyone just ask him? <laughs> well, it's not confirmed, apparently. So... Timothy, when was your birthday? (laughs) Yeah. Tony, Brian, your question. Okay. At one point in the series, Diana Rigg plays James Bond's wife, uh, who then dies. But what was her name? Was it A, Selena Stacey Bond? Was it B, Teresa Tracy Bond? Or C, Larissa Lacey Bond? B. Yep, that sounds right. Teresa Tracy Bond. Yeah. Yep, it was. Yeah, in on her Majesty. Did they ask? Did they ask Stan Lee for the character name? <laughs> what Teresa Tracy Bond? Yeah, just just the T's and the, you know. Well, Tr- Tracy is what they call her, but I think her name was Teresa something something Bond. Yeah. Contessa yeah. Like Teresa Vinpold Tracy. Yeah. Well done, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. so that's, that's a point apiece at the minute, Steve. To whom does the Aston Martin belong that James Bond steals Inspector? Is it A, M? Is it B, Agent 009? Or is it C, Agent 006? It is 009. It is. Yes, 009. Bit of a a spoiler there for the people who haven't seen Spectre yet. You're asking a question about the film we watched last night. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No question could be that easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I thought 006 might throw you because everyone you have knows for your dinner. You get a point for it. <laughs> one of the one of the rarely ever mentioned or seen other 00s in the 00 program. But 006 but I thought it's... might throw you because that's the one that sort of everyone knows because it was Sean it's Bean. Sean Bean. Yeah. yeah. Um what was the the guy that got shot in one of the Roger Moore ones? Oh, 004 oh. was it? Yeah, I think it, an octopusy. Yeah, yeah. Double O nine. That was double O nine. That was double O nine. Ah, okay. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it That's was. A nice little tie in there. Classic callback. Nice. <laughs> okay, Tony, <laughs> Brian, your second question. A total of seven Aston Martin DB tens were blown up or otherwise destroyed during the filming of Spectre. But how much in total did blowing up? All of the vehicles, Inspector, actually cost. Did they oh, spend oh. A, four million pounds blowing up cars? Did it cost B, 14 million pounds? Or was it C, 24 million pounds? Right. Do you mean in terms of the cost of the cars, the insurance, the explosives, the people involved? It, yeah, how much they spent blowing up all, all of the cars. So, I mean, you just have to consider if they went fully comp on the insurance or it was just third-party fire and theft. Yeah. It's all every vehicle <laughs> in the film. So it's not just, it's not just the um, DB10. It's the Range Rovers and all the rest of it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know, Brian. I, 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 my instinct is, is A. higher than 4 million. 4 million, 14 million, or 24 million. My instinct was higher than that. Well, go, go with what you think. Go with what I you mean, think. I mean, it, it also depends. 
depends on if Bond was just a named driver on Money Penny's insurance and she <laughs> went through sheet and she went through Sheena's wheels. I haven't got a Scooby Doo here. Brian, it's your I'll up to you, mate. For, I'll go for fourteen. You were wrong, unfortunately. It was twenty-four million oh. pounds sterling spent just blowing up vehicles. I mean, I, I I love Bond films, but given the world as it is right now, that's fucking outrageous. Yeah. Two hundred million pounds the film cost to make, and twenty-four yeah. million pounds of that was was blowing that's stuff. Mental. Yeah, that's mental. So must have been a fun day. A huge amount. It's enormous, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. As a percentage of the budget, yeah, that's quite huge. Mm. It's a lot. Yeah. It's over ten percent. It's crazy. Steve. Yeah. Question three. Win this and I win, don't I? Well, yeah, no, you do actually. Yeah, you're right. Okay, Daniel Craig's Bond films have all been notoriously long, and at 148 minutes, Spectre is the longest Bond film ever. But. Prior to Daniel Craig's first stint in the role in 2006, which previous film held the mantle of the longest Bond movie? Was it A, 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service? Was it B, 1973's Live and Let Die? Or was it C, 1995's Goldeneye? I think think I'm going to go with Live and Let Die. 1973's Live and Let Die is wrong, unfortunately. Oh, I've let him back in, haven't I? You have, yes. Uh, uh, Can we guess or...? You can have a guess if you like, yeah. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's A. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, do you agree, Brian? Do you think that's right? Yep. Yeah, well, it is right. Yeah, you would be correct. It was uh, 142 minutes. Yeah, uh, Live and Let Die was 121 minutes and Goldeneye was 130 minutes. So, there we go. So, Tony, Brian, you can you can get back in in the game with this this one. Oh, it's tense. Spectre is the name of an evil organization in the Bond world, but what do the initials in its name, S P E C T R E, actually stand for? Is it A, State and Public Executives Encountering Terrorism, Revolutionaries and Extremists? Is it B, Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge and Extortion. Or is it C? Super powerful, extremely clever, total revenge experts. <laughs> it's B. Uh, right. It is B, but do you want the comedy answer? Yes, <laughs> yeah, one. one of my pals at a pub quiz, and that was the tiebreaker. The answer that was given was, some people expect cunts to remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's way better than the proper one. Way better. Yeah, it is. They should have gone with that, but unfortunately, <laughs> they, they went with B. Um, no, which is means you've just tied it. It's two all at the end of that. So we're down to a tiebreaker, and the tiebreaker is okay. It's going to be the whoever gets closest to the correct answer. Right, Monica Bellucci is one of two Bond girls, Inspector. But she, in particular, holds the special title of being the oldest Bond girl in history. But how old was she during filming? Can I guess? You can have a guess, yeah. 50. Steve said 51. She was 50 during filming. She's 51 now, so she was 51 when it was... Oh, I know what I've done here, yeah. What did you do, Steve? 
I was I, when I was doing my my research. I think the previous oldest Bond girl before her was, <laughs> was thirty seven. Because uh, oh, Perry Hatcher had been the oldest one beforehand, surely. She was older. Yeah, than you'd imagine. Mm. Yeah, but now mm. it's it's Monica Bellucci's title. She she's fifty years old and Bond's oldest ever girlfriend. There we go. Well, you film longer. Was Hatcher Bellucci in their film for longer? Uh, I don't. They were hardly mm. Yeah, I don't know. But all I know is what I've got here, which is that it was she was fifty, and that means that Tony Brian, you've won the quiz. And Yay! Yay! One step closer I'm, to it. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was a, that was the quiz. That's over then. So Steve, what's next? Up next is the news, and you yeah. have some news for us, don't you, Owen? Yeah, so, <laughs> I don't know why you've asked me for, for this news, but basically... You Maureen, found it. I did, yeah, that's true. Maureen O'Hara um, died this week. She was uh, 95 years old. She's probably most well-known for her work in the uh, golden age of Hollywood during the 50s with John Ford and uh, her frequent co-star, John Wayne. Uh, I think that's pretty much where I've seen her anyway. Those are the main sort of films I've seen her in. So that's The Quiet Man, um, McClintock, Rio Grande, that sort of thing um, that she was in. She's also been in the original Miracle on 34th Street. She was in How Green Was My Valley. Starred alongside Charles Lawton in a huge amount of films as well. So she was kind of like the last living legend of that that era. Or one of them, anyway. Uh, she She was a legitimate Hollywood star, let's put it that way. Like I say, yeah, she was 95 years old, and it's just a, a shame that she died. And I thought it was it was worth mentioning on on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, because she, she, you know, they're classic, they're classic stars, aren't they? So, you know, they're, they're slowly trickling away, aren't they? So it's exactly, yeah, it's a shame. Uh, also, have the news that Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs biopic has not done too well at the American box office, taking just 7.3 million dollars that's 4.8 million pounds in money that we understand here james bond podcast we should really be doing it in pound sterling i suppose Um, (laughs) in its in its first week of release that means it has ranked below uh the goosebumps movie and the last witch witch hunter wow but you know as we kept saying for for weeks uh, in the lead up to this who asked for this film who asked for a Steve Jobs biopic? Who asked for two Steve Jobs biopics? I mean, granted, it's Aaron Sorkin and Michael Fassbender and Danny Boyle, but really, I mean, come on. I do, I, I'm not interested in it. I know Brooke has been to see it. He saw it at the London Film Festival, written a review on our website, and he loved it, and that seems to be the general opinion. I mean, that's what what we've heard, isn't it? I mean, people have seemed to love it, but not not actually going to see it. What have you guys heard? about Steve Jobs? Pretty much the same. It's meant to be... Critics seem to like it, but nobody seems to be that bothered about it. It might it might be a combination of the fact that everyone... Quite a few people know there was a previous Steve Jobs film, even though that was Ashton Kutcher and didn't really make much of a dent. And also that it might be just a bit of Apple overload. And quite frankly, are people do people really give a shit about the geeky guy who died and created Apple? I'm, I'm not sure they do. They like the tech. I don't think they really give a toss how it came to be. There'll be some Apple fanboys who will go for it because Apple have got a big thing about 
you do have a bit of cult around that for the people in the tech. But is it a bit like with Incredible Hulk, where they do one film and it doesn't take off, but they want to get the character in there, so they've done a relaunch with a different star and a bigger name star. Is that what the... And then we're going to get Steve Jobs appearing in, like, a social network Avengers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, uh, they're all going to team up and fight crime. No, I'm I'm hoping there's going to be a third Steve Jobs film, but produced by The Asylum. Just a a mockbuster. (laughs) (laughs) Jeeves Sobs or something. Maybe maybe (laughs) it'll be a a Wozniak biopic. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Who cares about him? What's Less people than care about Steve Jobs, probably. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, is, is a bit of a shame because it's it's got some good pedigree. You know, it's got Michael Fassbender and he's always good value. It's got a good cast. It's got Danny Boyle. It's got mm. Aaron Sorkin writing it. It's one of those things that should be more interesting. The reason Social Network did well, though, is because of it's Facebook. And it, your, people are interested in Facebook by default, really. And they were a bit younger and a bit, in inverted commas, sexier and a bit more interesting. This is about a middle-aged guy, you know, launching a very sleek, soulless product. Much as I love Apple, and I love Apple tech, I'll admit that, I just don't think it's got the same mass appeal. There was a bit more hype around the social network as well, from what I remember. You know, there was the whole, um, oh, it could be an Oscar contender... Whereas I haven't seen any of that for, for Steve Jobs. I know people said that it's it's a good film and the performances are great and et cetera, et cetera. But I seem to remember there being quite a lot more uh, hype around the social network. It is getting a bit of Oscar buzz now from what I've seen. It is getting a few people say that it might be up there contending, but it's not going to get it's not getting the same already as, as films like Carol or, you know, mm. the ones that are really in the frame by the look of it. Uh, or possibly Joy next year. Who knows? I saw a trailer for Joy, and I don't know what it's about. I I didn't get anything from it in the three minutes I watched, other than Jennifer it, uh, Lawrence's badass. She's just—I'm <laughs> sure she's like she's like a mom who who has like a home shopping channel or something, and she makes she makes a fortune through that. It's something like that. I think I, is the I plot. thought she was a gangster. I, she I think she becomes much. one. <laughs> it might be that I she becomes know. one. I don't know. I don't know. Well, basically, let's look at it. You've got David O. Russell, Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper, Robert De Niro. Yeah, it's a, that's it's, um, that's the blueprint for an Oscar yeah, at the minute. Yeah, in one category or another. Yeah, but I, th- I don't. But I don't know Steve Jobs. I just don't think he's gonna he's gonna be interesting enough people, whether it gets Oscar buzz or not. Really. The final bit of news now, and that is regarding Indiana Jones in a possible fifth film in the series, or a reboot, or or something. What is going on? Well, indeed, what is going on? Um, the headline that I'm looking at right now in front of me is Indiana Jones 5 recasting Indy ruled out. Apparently, Frank Marshall, the producer, says they're not going to do the Bond thing uh, and call somebody else Indiana Jones. So what does that mean, really, for the franchise? What, what is the actual... I mean, are they just going to continue it with Shia LaBeouf? Is he going to just be the new character and they're just going to drop Indy completely? I, I suspect this is another another possible misquote or another something taken out of context. Or Frank Marshall's just digging his heels in a bit here. If, unless they get a move on, Harrison Ford is going to be too old for this. 
You know, he already is, really. Spielberg hasn't said that he's doing it next. It's going to take him at least two years anyway. So it's like, well, it, it, it makes no sense right now to carry on with Harrison Ford, as great as he is. They, they, ought, to, they ought to pull a Bond, recast... Indiana Jones is a good enough property to do it again and do the Bond thing and keep setting it in the 30s and 40s, you know, and make... That's fine. A lot of people don't seem to understand that that's a good idea. They, I, I really don't get why people don't think Indiana Jones can work the same way as James Bond. I don't understand. It, it makes complete sense. And Shia LaBeouf is too mad and weird to, to run a film franchise like this. So it'll, or, be, it'll be forgotten. Or the option is you do what it appears is happening with Harrison Ford in Star Wars, and you drop him into the background, and you find somebody else who takes up the Indiana Jones mantle, whether it's some other son that turns up from somewhere that's not Shia LaBeouf, or whether it's just somebody else, and you and then Harrison Ford just pops up. You know, he's in the background. He'll come in and do a bit and go off again and whatever. But, he, but he's not the main. But if you, if you have Harrison Ford being old, then you have to leave the 40s and you can't be fighting Nazis, it's got to be in the 60s against communists. And Indy's going to mm. have like long hair, big collars. But the, only, the, <laughs> but the Exactly. The only problem with that as well is that you can do that in Star Wars because Star Wars isn't just about Han Solo. You know, it's about the overall tapestry of the, of the Skywalker family and, and all this other stuff going on. With Indiana Jones, you know, it's on the tin. It's about Indiana Jones. If you get another guy, Indiana Jones Jr., which would be a real leap for the audience to buy anyway, to have another son involved, you, you, you're left with a franchise that doesn't really make any sense anymore. The best thing to do is to admit he's too old, he had a good run, Kingdom of the Crystal School didn't work, reboot it, start again, don't get Chris Pratt, get someone else who isn't in everything else, to do it again and have it fresh and exciting and do what they did with Casino Royale with Bond and freshen it up and do it again. It makes perfect sense and it would be brilliant. And I don't understand why people are just clinging on. It's like if somebody had said in the 60s, Connery is the only Bond ever and he's going to play it till he's 85. Makes no sense. Hmm. But. I don't. It's, I think, again, as well, it's another case of nobody... Do, do, people don't really want another Indiana Jones, though, do they? I mean, the last not, one was hardly... Yeah, uh, not the last one, no. Exactly. Yeah, but he, I, I would happily watch another one with a new actor that has a new story. They don't remake any of the old ones. God, no. That would be, that'd be awful. But they could do a new story set in the 30s, goes off and finds, I don't know, a fountain of youth or something. One of the things that have maybe been done in the games or Atlantis. The Fate of Atlantis would be a fabulous mm. film. You know, do that, okay? It would a- work ancient well. Ancient aliens. Yeah, not them. You <laughs> that. But you'll end up with a Star Wars, uh, the, the Star Trek reboot, where it's a new film, new cast, and they retread the old ground that the audience like because that's the folk who made the films grew up with. Mm-hmm. And that's Maybe, not yeah. what you're looking for either. No. No, certainly not. But it's too, it's too big a brand, and it's too myth- mythology-based a character now. You know, Indiana Jones is is the American James Bond, basically. He is he is that stock mythological character hero of the modern age, and it makes no sense to just have an old guy play him until he dies, and then never do never do anything with him again. It, it, I don't think so. I think I think they they could do it if they get the right people. They could do it right. And call it refinding the lost ark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So we decided to induct a new member into our corridor of praise, uh, and that is the character of James Bond himself. He's the first fictional character we're inducting. Um, rules for getting in are that you can't have been nominated for your main body or, or you know, the main thing you do in cinema. So an actor can't get into the corridor of praise if he's got an Oscar for best actor, a director for best director or for best film. And, and, and James Bond has never won best film and uh, no actor has been ever, ever won for playing James Bond. So we thought it was rather fitting that he went in. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of fits the criteria, so um, it seemed like the best opportunity to finally finally induct him. So this is kind of like a miniature Corridor of Praise episode that we've got going on here in the middle of our Spectre review, which is quite cool, I think. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it, mainly because I don't really know much about James Bond. So we've got a couple of people on the podcast who do know quite a bit about James yes. Bond, to help well, guide us and the listeners through. Yes, well... His name is Bond, James Bond, and that's it. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Columbo. Um, <laughs> no, no, he is one of the most, I suppose, the most iconic British character in in film or television. Although he doesn't very, he doesn't really, you know, show many British traits, does he? He doesn't form an orderly queue and he's not particularly polite and I don't think there's any record of him liking cricket but <laughs> you know if Hugh Grant had ever got cast as James Bond it'd be a completely different different story but we have we have James Bond who for, for, who helps Brits look cool to people around the world who just think that they are something like Doctor Who or Arthur Dent it, it... <laughs> It depends really what, what bond you're talking about because there's there's different bonds now. We're at the point where the there's the Ian Fleming bond that he wrote in the books is a very different bond to most of the bonds we've seen on film. And Daniel Craig and Sean Connery have probably come the closest, with a little bit of Timothy Dalton. But there's never been probably the exact guy ever on film. And that guy is is you know, because it was 50s, it was the 50s, and Ian Fleming was a horrendous racist. Okay. <laughs> he, he sounded like a horrendous man, right? Yeah, but, every, was... but, every, but the thing is, everybody was a racist back then. Yeah, he, didn't he, know was any real, he was a real... <laughs> I mean, read, read Live and Let Die. That book is like... It, it might as well have been written by the clan, right? It, it's, wow. it's really racist. And he's just one of the... He, he, was, he was traditional old British kind of you know, emp empirical British, Ian Fleming. He'd be, he'd be one of those Dale, Daily Mail Tory bastards these days. He really would be. As great a character as he created. But the, So the guy in the books is very much a cold, heartless, em empire-loving Brit. So, and, and, but the guy we've got now, he, the guy who became in the films was a very transatlantic, suave, sophisticated hero that everyone could, be, could live with and be okay with. The film's softened. That's interesting. And, and Craig so it, brought that back in the in the books. I may have read this somewhere and got my my facts jumbled up. But isn't James Bond meant to be like um, a kind of working class bloke who was adopted into well, that world? What, that Ian... Well, I, I mean, I've got I a bit he was about born in Switzerland. He he was. I mean, from what I've got here, uh, the the name James Bond was intentionally meant to be a dull and un. You know, he's meant to be. He wanted Bond to be dull and uninteresting, 
but things mm. happened around him. Uh, the quote is, I wanted him to be a blunt instrument. When I was casting around for a name, my protagonist, I thought uh, James Bond was the dullest name I've ever heard. Uh, and then he said James Bond was much better than something more interesting like Peregrine Carruthers. <laughs> yeah. um, I, could, I couldn't see that I might, being a film series. Connect, but... I, could, I, couldn't have seen, I could not have seen us watching last night in the cinema uh, Peregrine Carruthers in Spectre. <laughs> Did he name Bond after not his dentist, but he, he picked someone out who he knew? Yeah. I think, I think he And he I had to apologise to the he... widow. I think he was going for like I think it was something like the name of like a banker or someone very very dull like like you say uh, in order for yeah him to be him to be a quite and if you know if you look at some of the art I mean the Moonraker the first um, one of the early early books as well as Casino Royale he's very sort of grey and brutal and and very British I mean Moonraker I mean <laughs> if the film of Moonraker literally all it has is the same name, right? That is the <laughs> loosest adaptation of a book I have ever, ever seen in my life. It has the same name and it has the, the name of the villain and that is it. The book itself is very, very Brit. It's almost entirely set in Britain, you know, and it's it's quite dull and dark and, and things like that. So he, he started off in that, that very, very much that kind of vein. And he was a bastard. I mean, he was, he was a right bastard. And, and I think the closest you got to him in the films was in Casino Royale, when Daniel Craig is a tosser for a lot of the so it, 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 There was parts of that film where Bond is a prick. He, he really I thought is. you were going to say David Niven then, when you said... Uh, <laughs> yes, well, yeah, yeah, it's been, well Casino, Casino Royale was the first adaptation of James Bond for the screen. It's a TV film, an American film, uh, American yeah. television, with an American actor playing Bond. And it was part of some anthology thing that they did, and and all that. Um, but they paid Barry Nelson, his name was. Yes, yeah. yeah. Almost as bad as James Bond, the name probably worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can imagine this as someone from the Midlands, can't you? I'm Nelson, Barry <laughs> Nelson. Barry Nelson. Bosses to kill. Yeah, but the the Mitchell Webb sketch about James Bond. No, mm, maybe no. remind me. It, it, it's the two guys who are planning a party and saying, "Oh, shall we invite Money Penny?" No, because then she'll bring James. I'm just <laughs> yeah. standing in a dinner jacket, but everyone else is in jacket in jeans and shirts. And, and <laughs> someone made a comment to him, and he threw him out of a window, and then made a quip. <laughs> like, I remember if, that day. If you if you put James Bond in with normal people, he's a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's and that's the thing. He, he's he's not like, it, yeah. The the, the original, all the adaptations have, have always done it differently. Like that American one in the fifties was mad. I mean, it's it's. I think it's on YouTube or somewhere with Barry Nelson, and it is. It's not Bond at all. He's. I mean, he's American for a start, and it was. It was just. It just isn't what it is. And then there was the Casino Royale film in like nineteen sixty seven, which is the trippiest thing you will ever watch. <laughs> is, is that it, not it, meant it, to be? A, is that not meant to be a spoof? And it and it's it, got. David Niven playing James Bond. It's James David Niven playing James Bond, but also Peter O'Toole playing a James Bond as well, or something. Woody Allen playing not, James Bond. And Woody Allen. Well, he doesn't play Bond, yeah. but I, he he's Bond. in it, and it's yeah, it, that yeah, it's a it's a weird yeah. film. It's mental. Peter Sellers plays Bond in it. There's loads of people. Loads, it's got a great cast. It is made by people quite deliberately on crystal meth. Uh, it, it's like it's it, proper bad. 
And it's one of two you know. uh, two non-Eon James Bond films, mm. isn't it? Although yes. the yeah. Sean Connery one from 83 or whatever was bought by MGM, so it now kind of falls into Bond yeah. canon, whereas that you know, Royal doesn't. Uh, that was Connery never was again. Yeah. Yes. Connery was the first James Bond. He kept coming back, didn't he? He did. He did five. I think it was four. He, he, he did. Yeah, he did five, and then he got five bored. Off the, bat, the first got, five. Yeah. Yeah, he got bored, and then he um, he he, he went. He, he quit. He wouldn't do Majesties, and then they they offered him a shitload of money for Diamonds of Forever, and he said, "I'll do it, but you've got to finance two of my other films. One of which I think was Zardoz." I mean, he, he was mm-hmm. fucking mad. <laughs> so, yeah, and he was like, he said, I'll do it, but you've got to give me loads of money. And and he just, he looks visibly older in Diamonds and he, he doesn't give a fuck. And that film doesn't give a fuck either. That film is awful and mental, as mental as Casino Royale, actually, sometimes. <laughs> then he finally came back. They were trying to get a Bond film made in the 70s that was a remake of Thunderball called Warhead. And the, the the legal wranglings over Thunderball is a fascinating story. There's a book called The Battle for Bond, which was written by Robert Sellers, which tells the story of how Thunderball was written and made and how the legal rumblings have only just finished, which is why we've only just got Spectre back. It's taken nearly 50 years for this to hold, to, 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 to run, run, you know, run through. Um, and ultimately, they, they got a remake of Thunderball done, which was Never Say Never Again, and it took 10 years. Um, and they gave Connery shitloads of money again and a hairpiece, and he was happy. But it's a fascinating story, that is. It's a really interesting story. Next, next up was George Lazenby in the in the Bond role. Um, don't think he went down too well as Bond, did he? Apparently, he got the role after being seen in a fried chocolate cream advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he was a, he was a model as well. So they, they, they got him for his modelling looks. And yeah, that chocolate advert. Um, and he was, yeah, he, he was. It was at the point where they they weren't sure what they were doing because there was the whole debate at that point whether or not they make James Bond a code name, and they explain on screen that he's a different actor <clears throat> because mm. people people at that time you didn't change characters, uh, you know, faces like that. You know, Bond was one of the first, I think, properly to do that. So everyone was a bit like, well, who's this guy? And he even at one point in Majesties, he turns to the camera just before the end of the credits and he goes, something happens where the what it's I think it's Diana Riggs. She runs away from him at the end before the end of the uh, credit sequence. And he turns to the camera and he goes, that never happened to the other fella. And looks at us. So there's a little <laughs> bit of fourth wall break in there as if to wink. I'm a different guy. Wink, wink. But I'm the same guy. Wink, wink. Him getting the roll off the back of a chocolate advert is like if I got a high ranking accountancy role at Goldman Sachs based on me paying my electric bill on time. <laughs> no, I want to see that film. I want to see that film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he was mates with Cubby Broccoli, right, yeah. though. Yeah, possibly. He was. He, but... he, knew, he knew people. Mm. Yes. Uh, and after Ladies and Beats was Roger Moore, who would have taken up earlier, but he was stuck doing The Saint. Yeah, and then Bond got very camp. I think camp, I think, goofy comedy. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, he went a... to he went to space. Apparently, they made Moonraker book off the back of Star Wars being so popular, so they thought let's whack James yeah. Bond in space. Yeah, and there's nothing in Moonraker the book, like I say, that has him going into space. It's that. <laughs> yeah, they got they got progressively more mad as as the the films became more detached from. 
the reality, reality. You know, in the six. Well, in the sixties, mm. there was still some overblown stuff in the sixties, but in the sixties, there is still a bit more of that sort of fear about Russia and the Cold War, which is why. You know, you ne he never goes to Russia or anything like that. But in the 70s, things were thawing a bit in real life. So they were like, oh, OK, well, let's have him go even more mad. So then he, you know, he starts going to underwater bases and onto the moon and, you know, dressing up as a clown to stop a bomb going off and, and all this madness. It, it's where we and got Austin where... Powers from, isn't it? It's that yeah, era of yeah, yeah, where we yeah. got Austin Powers. Basically, that, that and late Connery, where it was Blofeld in, in the holiday volcano stroking the cat and going, yeah. Mr. Bond. That was where the, the villains became much more cartoonish, um, you know, even more so. It started with Goldfinger, really. It, that, that template yeah. started with Goldfinger, but it really took off towards... Although the first two, more did three films, though, that people forget. He did Live and Let Die, which was a black exploitation film, effectively, as Bond which was his first one, which was really, really, he's really odd if compared to a lot of the others. And it's, again, it's nothing like the book. Then he did The Man from the Golden Gun, where he's, he's a brutal bastard at one point. Mm. He literally smacks a woman in the face in that. And people don't associate that with Roger Moore. And Scaramunger in that is, is a really good thought out villain. Yeah. For, for a Bond film at that point. You know? He's great. And, and, yeah. And Christopher Lee was fantastic as him, as Scaramunger. And yeah. it was really memorable. Uh, the whole I really enjoyed um, the Man with the Golden Gun. There's some Bond films that I do find a bit iffy now, but I still think the Man with the Golden Gun holds up as quite a good, uh, fun Bond. It's what I think of as as that era of Bond. It's fun and silly. Good. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not much of a fan of that film, but I think Scaramanga is great in it. I think that any mm. any any point where they're on screen together is brilliant. It's just not enough of it for me, but. Mm, um, yeah. It was from that point that Moore got more and more daft. Although then, for your eyes only, was eighty one, and he it was it was weird because it stripped everything back. It, it was it was it was his most sort of Craig Dalton esque film, and it was really odd. The lot he didn't quip it as much. There wasn't as many gadgets. The plot was a lot more smaller scale about like rival drug lords. It was it's an odd one, and he literally kicks a man to his death off a cliff at one point as well. It's there's some. So people forget this about Roger Moore. They just remember the lasers in space and the the quips and you know sailing on a, on a gondola with with you know stuff. off a cliff with a big this. and off a cliff with a Union Jack parachute, which is really inconspicuous yeah. as a spy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James Bond has never been a very he's a, he's a shit spy. He's always he's getting caught. Everyone he's knows always who he is. Caught. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one chord name. He, he introduces himself to, as Bond to everybody. Yeah. 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 He, he's he, as bad as the villain. recently about that, that, you know, most spies have code names. They have alternate things. And even when well, he come gets on given a cover in Casino Royale, he blows it immediately. He's almost as bad as the villains that tell him the whole plan before killing him and don't kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Again. It got to the point then where, you know, Fiora's only was... and then. You add that and the strip back, and then Octopussy came along and and a view to a kill, and he was he was like fifty eight and looking it, mm. and it, it was it was at that point when he decided he because he used to wrangle a lot. He ne he never committed. He committed film film by film. Roger Moore. He never. There were a lot of points where he was potentially walking away, and they kept he kept coming back, and they kept because it was by then it was a template, and everyone was lapping it up. It made it's never really lost money. Bond. It's always made money. People knew what they wanted. They knew what they got. They kept coming back for more. So they they always kept Roger Moore on the bill. And it was only by the time he got too old that they sort of mutually went, yeah, it's getting a bit creepy now. Then he brought in Timothy Dalton. 
for two films. Yeah. Is he underrated he is. as a Bond? He went a bit darker, didn't he? Than well, certainly than Roger Moore, but perhaps Bond's previous to him. He's he, he is underrated. He's, mis- he's misunderstood. Basically, he was originally um, in the running for um, Majesties in 1969, actually, um, but he was deemed too young and he didn't quite fit. So they they had him on their radar for nearly 20 years, Tim Dalton, and then um, for the Living Daylights they. They they got him, but they never really knew what to do with him because he was he was a little bit ahead of his time. All the stuff that Daniel Craig has been celebrated for, Dalton could have done. He just he just didn't get the role at the right at right era. He was he was he was about twenty years too early. And if you look, the Living Daylights, they try and basically do what they've done with, um, with Con- with Connery and Moore and retrofit it into Dalton, who was a lot more, not dour, but he was he was a bit grittier and angrier and more curt as a bond he was closest probably to fleming in the template and how he could play it but he never got the chance it was only license to kill which is an underrated film the last hour of license to kill is great it's one of those rare films that starts okay and gets much much better by the end with the big tanker chase he's fucking brilliant it's still one of the best action sequences in the whole series and he, he but he was cut off before he got a chance to do another one then there were legal wranglings that went on for about six years and by the time it came back, he was too late. And it was it's a shame. It's a real shame because he, he had a really great film in him and he never got a chance to do it. One of the things I like about Dalton's Bond is that he said, if I get in a fight, I want to look like I've been in a fight. And he comes out <laughs> yeah. bloody, hair messed up, shirt ripped, because that's what happens when you beat someone to death. It's mm. not smooth yeah. like Moore or... Craig and bits of his stuff. Yeah, no, you, you're yeah. right. And 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 the, in License to Kill, a proper, there's some proper nasty shit in there. It was because it was it was off the back of things like Death Wish. So there's, there's a little bit of like sort of pulp exploitation in License to Kill, and a lot of people didn't like it because it was very American. You know, it's almost entirely set in in America and South America. Um, it's it's the least British Bond of all of them, basically. License to Kill. And it really does hearken to that kind of sort of death wish kind of exploitation thing. But there's some nasty shit in it. There's, there's like people getting their legs bitten off. There's people getting put in pressure containers and exploded. There's like, it's fucked up. And then, you know, the end, the villain just gets burned alive. It's, it's a nasty film, but it's, it's, it hits you. And it's, it's very, very underrated, License to Kill. And it deserves you know, re, re, you know, looking at. Uh, a little, I've got to say this. Sorry, there's a bit of a shameless plug coming. On my blog, on pickaflick.co.uk, um, I've just done a, a blog about Timothy Dalton's lost era. So there's there's some interesting stuff about the early 90s, the film he never got to do out there. So if you if you want to know a bit more about Dalton, look on that. And then come back to oh. failcritics.com and look at that one. <laughs> yeah, of course. Don't, don't hang around there for long. Just come back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, go over to Tony's website. It is very, very good. Uh, after Dalton, there was Pierce Brosnan. Before Brosnan was cast, it was rumoured that uh, Liam Neeson, Mel Gibson, Sam Neill and Hugh Grant had been in the running for the role. It's always fun to speculate who might be the next Bond or who could have done what as Bond. Um, Danny Dyer has not got that gig just yet. It's very disappointing, <laughs> but I think his time has Still passed. Time. But how yeah, do we right. think, based on, I mean, it's hard to think now, but Liam Neeson as Bond, you just kind of think of him in Taken and all those Taken light films that he's done since then. And Sam Neill, I really can't see as Bond. 
Hugh Grant, I really can't see as Bond. It'd be oh, no. uh, vodka martini. If it's not too much Hugh, trouble for you, Hugh Grant should be Bond for children in need. That's his level. <laughs> Sacrifice and, and, that, and that would be great. Of, that would be amazing. And jacket. And I'm chatting of up with those... 30 years my junior. <laughs> of all of those guys, Sam Neill probably came the closest because he did audition. And, he, and there is footage out there of him auditioning and doing so the, the traditional Bond audition tape, which is a scene from Russian with Love, which is the one all Bonds do when they audition. So he's probably the one who came the closest. But it was always Brosnan's because they wanted Brosnan in 87, in 86, after the mm-hmm. view to a kill. But he was tied up with Remington Steel. So um, he would have been perfect for The Living Daylights. The Living Daylights is a Brosnan film through and through. It was just made too early for him. But yeah, he, uh, it was always going to be Brosnan. Always for him. And for me, Goldeneye, his first one, is the best Bond film ever made. In terms of what a Bond film, not the Bond character or the books... But the Bond film template is Goldeneye is perfect for me. Uh, you'll yeah, twice is the the Bondest Bond film. Y- yeah, yeah, it probably is. There, it's the stuff that when you think of Bond, that's where it's come from. It's the the mm-hmm. uh, volcano base. It's the uh, is that got sharks in it? Yeah, that's um, the one that's got yeah, the claws that goes away. You get eaten by sharks. Yeah, it's the one that the first Austin Powers is most indebted to. Basically, as well. Yeah, it's, it's the platonic ideal of Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it, it's the beginning of the Bond we see at the cinema, which is the very different Bond to the one in the books and the one that Ian Fleming created. As I said, you know, the, the cinema Bond is a different guy. But this, the Goldeneye, and Goldeneye was, was it did have moments where it, it kind of had that sort of Craig style introspection of the character, but it never went far enough. And then with Brosnan, they realised they basically had another Roger Moore with a little bit of Connery. And they just played for that with that for three films, and that's why his three films get successively worse, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> with moments of greatness in almost all of them, not Dawn of the Day, but in almost in the others, there are moments of greatness. But Brosnan was was the Bond in the middle of them doing what they're doing now. Basically, he was he was the the caretaker for the template. But he I just kept it ticking I... over until yeah. they could re redo it he properly, did. didn't he? He did. Yeah. Until people got to the point where we'd had 9-11, and as cliche as it is to say, we'd had 9-11, we'd had Jason Bourne, and everyone went, this is a bit shit now, isn't it? And, and Die Another Day, with the, with the invisible cars and the terrible CGI, was the point where, you know, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson went, yeah, this is going to die on its arse unless we do something. Because the year before, you know, Mike Myers had bought out the spy who shagged me. And the... the, the, and the Mm. When you look at that and you look at Die Another Day, there is not much there in the difference, you know. And that, that, <laughs> that's that was the danger. So they that was when Bond was saved, really. ITV Next. One showed Die Another Day and Spy Hard back to back, and I watched <laughs> it back to back. And tonally, like if you walked out the room for half an hour, and came back, just the actors are different. <laughs> that's yeah. all it is because it's it's essentially self parody. And it's yeah, yeah, it is painful. Yeah. I love Spy Hard though. Um, I'd watch that any day over Die Another Day. So would I, because it does bond better than Die Another Day does. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It's true. Um, yes, on to our current bond um, for now, at least Daniel Craig, who kind of had to, as you've mentioned just there, um, with you know Bond being a bit 
you know, people say, especially people maybe in control of it, say it's a bit shit, it's going to die on its ass. So they brought in Daniel Craig, had a bit of a reinvention and, and what may well have been a reboot as well, uh, of, of sort, as much as you can reboot Bond, considering you have a new face playing him every few years. I think with Casino Royale, it was heavily influenced by, as Tony mentioned earlier, by um, real-life events, as well as the the whole Bourne identity thing that took off. Because that... I think there were three three action films that kind of redefined the genre in the last... Cent- well, in this century, right? You've got Bourne Identity, which came out and just said, look, you can be serious in an action film, shoot it properly, make it look realistic, and it doesn't have to be the most ridiculous, mm-hmm. over-the-top thing ever. Then you had Casino Royale that came in 2006 and said, look, even Bond can do this now. Even that guy who used to have a an airplane that ejected out of the back of his car and then he outran a heat-seeking missile in it. You know, even that guy can now do this kind of thing seriously, properly. Um, and then in 2008, a bit later, w- w- was Taken, which took a slightly different turn. But I think those three mm. are the most influential action films mm. that have been released since, you know, the year 2000. Um, and they've kind of had... The, the biggest impact on everything else that's been released since then. It kind of it kind of rebooted the series. If you I, it was worth it. It gave it. It's a full reboot. Yeah. But yeah. she's in yeah. it as a hangover from the old one, so it can't be. It's, exactly. It's what, confusing. What the Craig Bond films do is they have their cake and they eat it. As much yeah. as <laughs> you Bond, new ideas, but also remember this, remember this, remember this. Especially the, the, the last reason, two as well. Yeah, the reason though they you know they carried over M and things like that is simply because they they knew that Judy Dench was too good to lose. Um, oh yeah, Judy and Dench. it was that it was you know it was it was that whole thing of there's never been a continuity with Bond. The closest we've ever had is the last two or three. Well, the last as it turns out now, the last four films. But even now, they still yeah. they still don't have it perfectly down. They still don't have what Marvel say have, and have built like a universe or a franchise about it and a continuing story. They've retrofitted with Spectre, as we'll get to in a minute. To they've retrofitted that as a continuing story. That was originally just Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. That was a two parter mm-hmm. in a, in a way. And even and when they wrote Casino Royale, I still don't think they had con- Quantum of Solace completely in their minds. They don't write the series like that. They never have. But with Craig, what they found was they had the right bond to do that and they had the sensibility and the way storytelling works in this in this era that they that people expect a narrative and they expect a journey whereas in the old days they didn't have to do that with bond you know people they went for the escapism and they just they had the, you know the brosnan template was exactly the same he would he would end the film in the with the girl in his arms and make a quip and he would start the film with a big action sequence and he'd have a travel log all the way through and that'd be it. And it'd be the same with Roger Moore and, you know, to some of the Conneries as well. Craig's, what they did, they didn't just reboot it, but they, they brought in that element of character arc and story. And as Spectre has now proven, they've married everything up to actually try. But it still isn't perfect in that sense. But they had to do that to distinguish from the old classic Bond. And it's, it's like what they did with Doctor Who, you know, in that now you've got classic Doctor Who which is one thing, and you've got new Doctor Who, which is another, and you've got fans on both sides. Everything pre-2006 now is classic era Bond. And there's a very clear distinction between the two from the modernisation. But they had to do that because they had they had no choice. It would have died. The series would have died if they hadn't done well, it. Well, as, 
as a sort of theme that keeps getting repeated throughout the these Bond films as well, the old Bond was too old fashioned, didn't fit in the modern world. And mm. that's like hammered home quite a bit in Skyfall and then even more so in Spectre. Um, that whole idea that you, the, the, as you say, the classic era Bond, it, it just, it's gone. It's, it's no longer relevant. We have to change the way Bond goes about his business, the way that he talks to women, even, is no, is no changed. In, in, in some bits it's changed, but you still get the, oh, James, no, 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 yes. He does that <laughs> in all the other films. And yeah. again, there's a James Bond the, 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 the... And one thing that annoyed me in Spectre is they make a big deal about how Vesper Lind was different but she treats every other woman the same way he treated Vesper Lind. So yeah. either she's different, which you want her to be, or she's not. But you haven't made her different. The Vesper Lind stuff annoys me quite a lot. Because she's done with some poor accountant. You, you'll have known someone at university like that. She's a girl, she gets a degree, she works for the government, she gets caught up in the wrong thing, she ends up with a psychopath, and then she drowns in Venice. <laughs> <laughs> we've, all, we've all known someone like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the thing is with, with, the way, the, with women, though, in this, and the, what they've tried to do different with Craig, with the Vesperlin thing, which, which I think worked really well as a relationship, and it goes back to the first ever book and the first ever relationship he had in the books, is that they had to, they had to humanise him to an extent. And it, as part of the reboot, as part of what Craig brought to it, which was this this proper gritty, down-to-earth kind of sensibility, what you said earlier, Steve, I think it was you, Steve, you said about whether, or it might be you, Brian, I'm not sure, about how he's he started as somebody who's not from much and his parents were, you know, no one special. It's that whole thing of this bond is the first bond you feel that with, whereas the other guy was, you know, there was no sense mm-hmm. of that whatsoever. This guy... You know, it's the rough diamond thing that's been polished over the years. And that's why he's got this this relationship with women. But that's not new to this, to, to new Bond. I mean, you know, you look at On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the relationship in that, you know, and what they did in that was years ahead of its time and how they, and how they, how they ended that film. So it's, it's interesting in that on one, on one hand it has evolved and on another hand it, has, it hasn't at all. And if anything, Spectre proves that for me. So that brings us up to date with James Bond. Craig may not continue. I mean, we, the, he may well be contracted for a fifth. After Craig, who would people like to see in that role? I want a gay black person to really annoy everyone. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, annoy if, maybe even a woman, Jane Bond, and just really piss everyone off. I know just... people who would love to see Emily Blunt in the role, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Seriously, she's not a bad show, actually. Idris Elba, I don't know. I think his time might have gone now. If he was going to do it, it would have been maybe yeah. four or five years ago. Um, I'm not adverse to a black one. I just don't think he would. And I, I don't think it's because he's too street, like that guy said. But I, I just don't think he would have been quite right for it. <laughs> I, I, when I was, um, when when I was watching, yeah, no, yeah, I agree with you. When I was watching um, Hitman, Agent Forty Seven, for my sins. Um, which is a terrible. I'm so sorry film. to hear that. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. It was a, a terrible. terrible film. <laughs> However, Rupert Friend, there was a point where I was watching the film and I wasn't really concentrating on the film, but he, the way he held himself and the way his presence was with a with a weapon and the suit he was in, I, I thought 
put hair on him, put him in a tux, he wouldn't necessarily be a bad shout. And so he possibly might be good. Um, but they, but I truthfully, I've thought about this long and hard, and I've no idea. I've no idea. <laughs> There's some people talking about the kid from Kingsman. Is it mm. Karen Egerton? Yes. But yeah. Kingsman was basically yeah. a James Bond tryout anyway. He, he, yeah. needs, he needs another 10 years on him before he could even come close to being the right, the yeah. right fit. It's too young. One, one of the names I saw mentioned, which I thought was quite interesting, was Charlie Cox, guy from Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's English. He's yeah. shown he can do all the action stuff pretty yeah. well. He's got charisma. Yeah, that's you not know? bad. That's not a bad show. He's in his early thirties at the moment, so he's just about the right age. They 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 need they... to get somebody who will. Sorry, they they just need to get somebody who will fit the whatever the vision's going to be in in what they do next because they can't just repeat yeah. Craig. They've got to do okay. something new with it. That, so Tom, that, Tom Hiddleston or someone like that who can be a bit more suave in the role and less... Um... I, I really don't see him as Bond. No. Mm, I no. don't know. I think he could do the, the, the classic kind of gentlemanly sort of Bond, the Pierce Brosnan type Bond, rather than the Daniel Craig or like, action hero kind of Bond. Yeah, I'd buy Hiddleston more as a weaselly double O who turns on everybody and becomes the villain, actually. <laughs> I'd buy that more, re- basically. A, a, <laughs> yeah, a, re- yeah. a reboot. Yeah, 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 a, reboot yeah. a rebooted Trevelyan. Yeah, hmm. basically, yeah, yeah. I could buy That's that the more. next step. Actually, just bring back Sean Bean. He'll die at the end. Tom Hiddleston yeah. saying, <laughs> you can hear Tom Hiddleston saying, this time tomorrow, we will be richer than gods. Richer than gods. <laughs> I still think well, Danny Dye would do a great job or the, or the stay. 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 Brilliant. And Bond. James Bond. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see him Mark in a toupee Strong? like Connery had. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I think Mark Strong could have done it a little bit a few years ago. Ten years ago, I think Mark Strong would have been a good shape. And well, he's, he's in his fifties like, now. I mean, yeah, he's a bit too old now. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he might just be the wrong sort of guy, anyway, to, to play Bond. Right, wrong sort of actor. Mm. Mm-hmm. Shall we well, move on to the the main review now? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, we could be here all night. <laughs> Time to review Spectre then, the latest instalment in the Bond franchise. I'm not going to hazard a guess as to what number it is with all these unofficial ones in this Casino Royale <laughs> with David Niven and Sean Connery coming back and whatever. It's Bond. Craig's back as Bond uh, and he has a new enemy, not so much in Spectre, but in Christopher Waltz's character. And we'll have to be careful, I suppose, not to give anything away about the character with people not having seen it yet, as it was only out last night. Yeah, well, it'll be a, a couple of nights ago by the time this gets edited yes. and released. Yeah, Monday it came out. Uh, and it came out with, it, to a, quite a huge crowd, actually. 647 cinemas across the UK. One, um, of them had, one of them had a future king in it. It was... Oof. Yeah, it's gala royal premiere, as it was dis- described. Um can I can I and just was, point out just there, there there was actually another premiere um, that happened at the same time as the uh, the London one. There was one in Birmingham, 
right, at the brand new Cineworld at the NEC. Um, would you like to know who attended? Because it's, it's a wonderful list of, of Z-list stars. Oh, um, oh, man. Is right. it going to be... Uh, uh, he's a bit Lenny too... He's a bit, they're a little bit too famous. Okay. If, if, I tell you, if I tell you that the most famous person there was Jasper Carrot. Okay. <laughs> the, the two most famous people were Jasper Carrot and Dion Dublin. That tells you how, like, <laughs> how bad this was. It's amazing. I'm, I'm embarrassed to be from Birmingham today. You're embarrassed to be from Birmingham every day. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. Can't be like that. More canals in Venice. <laughs> is that the only Apparently. Birmingham fact you know? <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> I know there was a superhero from there called Captain Midlands. Oh yeah, we found that out, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Captain yeah. fucking Midlands. Yeah, brilliant. That I love that. Uh, James Bond, Spectre. What do we all think of um, that? Uh, I will start, I guess, and just say for the record that it's Bond. The same as I was saying about Columbo. It's, it's, Columbo. Columbo. It, it's, it's Bond. It's basically, I don't. Th- I didn't get excited about it beforehand. Like Skyfall, I kind of felt the hype for that. When I went to see Skyfall yeah. in the cinema a couple of years ago, queues were out of the door at the cinema world, all the way down the street. That's the only film I've ever seen that. Uh, where you've gone to the, the, the you know, the, the the ATM or gone to the, the checkout bit and they, they, they've just had sold out across two or three screenings. Just wait, just, wait till you trudge, just wait till you trudge past the Force Awakens queue. You'll hate it. Oh, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I didn't feel any of that hype with, with Spectre. I'd already had my tickets and when I went to, to, to see it the other night, it just we just went straight through. There was no cues. There was nothing straight into our seat. It was fine. There was no one in the way. It was just, it, it was all quite nice and easy when I was expecting a bit of chaos. And then the film was okay. The film was exactly the sort of same reaction. It was, it was Bond doing Bond stuff. It was, it was okay. It was entertaining. It wasn't as exciting as Skyfall was. It repeated a lot of the same, same tropes, same formula that, that Skyfall did, as we mentioned earlier, about sort of Bond is now old, isn't Bond quite old? And all oh, this yeah. this whole spy stuff is a bit old fashioned. Shouldn't it shouldn't it be brought into the twenty first century? Should it carry on like it? And then it was just like, mm, yeah, okay, fair enough. It was a nice, kind of entertaining little espionage thrillery actiony thing, but it wasn't brilliant. No, I it has some it, really good bits and some all right bits, and it it jumps. It hobbles from one bit to another to get to the highlights. Mm. Like uh, the first twenty something minutes, the bits in Mexico, and that long tracking shot—that's mm. really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, that, that, op- that, opening, that opening shot is just—it's just phenomenal. And the mm. the opening credit, like the credit sequence, someone was saying that everyone in the cinema went to Lou for that bit because the song's rubbish. Yeah, the song's rubbish. But it's beautiful, like the actual <laughs> visuals of the credits, yeah, mm. are the most interesting and dynamic since Casino Royale. Mm. I love. Well, it. I think that was very deliberate in a return to the uh, the classic style of Bond, wasn't it? Because all all through with those opening credits, I mean, because all through Skyfall, the point was that he couldn't exist in this world, and he was. And then at the end of Skyfall, you come, kind of come to the conclusion the world needs Bond, basically. 
Um, so that was always going to be set up for Spectre to just be a, a straightforward um, James Bond d- doing James Bond things again. Uh, and the credits kind of reflected that. The opening credits kind of reflect that with, uh, look, the old guy can still do it. The old classic Bond opening credits can still sort of get you excited for this. It, it's it's It was quite clever, but... Yeah, there's, okay, there's, let's discuss the Bond theme, shall we? Sam Smith's thing. Do you think it's okay in context of the film? No, I meant visually it looked like the visuals with the octopus. Just visually. They yeah. looked beautiful. The, that song, it was the first time I'd heard it, because I did listen to it beforehand. And okay. there's a bit where you think, if you go left in the song instead of going right, mm. it will sound better. But it felt like there were a bunch of missteps. Usually when he went higher, the bits when it went higher didn't work. The bits when it was lower, that felt more fitting. But I have only listened to it once, so I can't give much of a comment. Hmm. That is all you need to listen to it for, believe me. Uh, it, it's, it's once is enough. That, it, he, he recorded that in January, and it apparently took him 20 minutes to write it. And boy, does it show. <laughs> it, it, it's, it it's, it's, just, it's just shit. It doesn't sound like a Sam Smith song, and it doesn't sound like a James Bond song. No. I think a lot of the reaction when it came out, um, because it has done very well in the charts and everything. Well, it will do. It was the first to get number one or something like that for years. Um, But it it was... um, A lot of the reaction at the time, people saying, oh, well, it's crap, but I'm not writing it off until I've seen it in the context of the film. Until I've seen it over the opening credits, and then I'll reassess my opinion i was the same and i i think it kind of fit the tone that they were going for with those credits i'm just not sure it's a great standalone bond film song in the same way lots of others have been yeah you know even uh, uh skyfall by adele you know whatever your opinion of that is it still stands alone as a as a single i actually quite like the craig songs um i quite like the quantum of solace song <laughs> the, with the, the what was that White Alicia and Keys Alicia and Jack White? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Weren't they drafted just, in last minute to do that catchy. song? I, I think that, have no idea. I think originally that was going to be um, your soul singer woman who died uh, and had the documentary made out about Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse, yeah. I think originally she was going to oh, do possibly. the song for Quantum of Solace and then was replaced, kind almost last minute with Jack White and Alicia Keys, but. Yeah, okay, the Sam Smith song, uh, I still feel the same way. I don't think it's a very good song, but at least now I, I think it does sort of fit with, with, it, with those credits. Going back to the film itself, I mean, I think I'll just echo what Owen said earlier. It's, it's a good film. It's never bad, but it, it's never great. Or it's, very, it's some very, very good bits, you know, like we said, the opening shot in Mexico. But it's, but it's never a great Bond film, but it's never bad either. It is a little bit too long, which is a, a symptom of, I think, m- most, if not all, of the Craig Bond films. Uh, it does drag a little bit, but by and large, it is, it is fine, it is good, it will do well, people will like it, especially if they like Bond. It, it, it does. A, I think it plays a little bit of lip service as well to fans, or fan service, you know, it, it kind of looks for the, the things that Bond, that they know Bond fans will like. Sam, well, Sam Mendes goes, right, we need a snowy bit, we need some gadgets, we need yeah. a cool car, there's a, a car chase, we've got a couple of iconic villains, some 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 familiar, some 
less familiar, or at least Im- immediately so. Well, I, how, I, how, do, how do we find how do we find Christopher Waltz as the main villain, the head of Spectre? He's he's basically doing what he did in Inglorious Bastards, but <laughs> that was amazing in Inglorious Bastards. Yes. Yeah, but he has that thing. He he squeezes his body up and he hunches his shoulders and puts his hands in together. And he does that again. I've only actually seen him two or three films, and maybe he's cast because see that thing you did in Inglorious Bastards. Can you do that again? Mm. He sounded a bit like Michael Fassbender, with a German slash Irish accent. The parts of when he spoke sounded a little bit Irish. To be fair, though, the, the character he's playing, the character he's playing, he's never, without going into detail, the character he's playing is never kind of country specific um, in historically. So he can kind of get away with that fluid accent because it, it's a character who you can never quite sure where he's from. But just just to go, just to touch back on what's been said, I had a dual reaction to this film because, I, as you can probably tell from everything I've been saying in this podcast, I'm an enormous Bond fan. I'm a massive Bond geek, <laughs> right? And it I couldn't the, tell. I couldn't tell. Yeah, I know it's a shocker. Yeah. It is. It, it is one of two things I love the most in the world, entertainment-wise. The other one's the X Files, but I won't get onto that. This is is what I grew up with Bond. I, I know it inside out. I love all the films, even the bad ones. I came out of this geeking out at lots of the things inspector but i came out quite amazed that i'd watched that film because that that i came out of that film with exactly the same reaction i used to come out of every pierce brosnan film when i was 17 18 19 years old every time i came out the brosnan film i was really excited and i loved it and i wanted to go back and watch it straight away again because it was bond it was just bond it's bond like it's colombo absolutely right right i didn't think though we were ever going to see those days again because the Craig films had, and that's not, not, that's not me being like negative about Craig's films at all, because I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that we don't see those days again. Craig's films were different. Craig's films dragged 007 into the modern day. They, they fused everything we loved about him with all the new stuff. And, you know, quantum of solace didn't work you know, because it was a stripped back, boring IKEA bond. Skyfall worked because it was it did enough new things and it was dramatic and powerful enough with lots of winks and classic touches to old Bond. And Casino Royale was just a really well made drama as well as being action and fun. The problem with Spectre was it was amazing to look at. The action was brilliant quite often. I mean that like you said, that first Mexico City scene was incredible on the helicopter and all that stuff. I was excited, I was thrilled, I had lots of geek out moments, but I felt exactly the same way now as I did when I left Star Trek Into Darkness, because I'm a massive Star Trek fan as well. And when I left that film, I kept thinking, I'm really excited because of all the callbacks to Wrath of Khan, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. But every time I've watched Star Trek Into Darkness since, I've seen more and more problems with it, and I get less enthused by it. And I feel, I think I will feel the same about Spectre, because... It's not particularly well written. It was rushed. You know, they, 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 they wrote the script and produced it. And Sam Mendes was editing it last week, right? That's how close to the wire this has taken. The script wasn't ready in time. It wasn't polished enough. The leaked Sony version, from what I know, is very similar to the one that actually happened. And that was slated, right? The one that the Sony leaked. Now, it's not, it's not particularly ready. The script wasn't great. The relationship between Bond and Madeline didn't work at all. It was flat as a pancake. 
They tried oh, to make yeah. him into Vespalind and it didn't work. Mm. Um, it wasn't a good, there wasn't any chemistry. It was forced. Christoph Waltz was great, but he wasn't in it enough. And it was very episodic. He just went from, oh, okay, he's in, he's in Mexico. Then he's in Rome. Oh, then he has to go to Austria. And then he has to go to Morocco. Oh, and this happens. Yeah, it, it had it played. It looked like a video game. Do yeah. this mission, get some yeah. information. Go do that mission, get some information. You've won. Hooray! Exactly right. There was never any peril. I never for, in in all the good Craig films. You really feel like he's getting the shit beaten out of him, right? Emotionally and physically. It happened in Skyfall. You know, when when M dies at the end, you fucking feel it. When Vesper dies at the end of Casino Royale, you feel it. You know. I didn't feel anything in this film. I loved, I was entertained and it was lots of, yeah, punch the air, da-da, da-da, bond moments, but there was nothing in it that made me go, this is good drama. This is, this is making me feel anything. It was just that old classic feeling of, yeah, great. He's going to win everything. And the, you know, even when he got the shit kicked out of him by Dave Batista, that, that was just physical. There was no emotional impact. It wasn't a good drama. And most of Craig's films what sort have, of- have been good. What sort of luxury train has got walls on it that are so thin you can throw a man through it? (laughs) I work at a school that's 40 years old. I couldn't throw someone through my own classroom door because it's that dirty. Yeah, but you're not not Dave Batista. If Bond is going through a wall like that, he's going to have broken ribs. He's not getting up from that, surely. No. Unless it's just a train. You, well, you do have to suspend belief, obviously, with some of these things. But I just felt like I enjoyed it. I was really entertained. There were lots of geek bomb moments, but it it wasn't. It's one of those films that you're going to look back on and you're going to go, it doesn't hold up together. And it's greatest hits repackaged, sleek, suave, smooth, spectacular. You know. Um, yeah, it's it's been done for people who like Bond films. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Skyfall wasn't. Like Exactly, exactly. And Skyfall and Casino Royale were films. They weren't just Bond films, and that's the distinction for me. Oh, I massively enjoyed I'm... Skyfall more because of that as well. Yeah. I mean, I know you've, you're a massive fan of, of the, the Bond films, Brian and, and, and Tony, but I'm not. I wouldn't say I was a huge fan of them. I'm not, I'm not a massive Bond, Bond fan. But Skyfall, I loved I really enjoyed that. It was it, fantastic cinema. It was just that it looked brilliant, which is why I was a little bit more interested in Spectre because they were they were keeping Sam Mendes and I thought his visual style throughout Skyfall was sublime. Yeah. I loved it. Uh, yeah. And he does recapture that here as, again, we talked about a, a little bit earlier with some of the, mm. the, the shots that he gets and some of the photography. Not to quite the same extent. No. I don't think you get anything at all as good as that... Um, Fight in the uh, scaffolding that you get in no. Sky. That just that yeah, is the, the best one. looking. Yeah, that was just the best looking action yeah. scene I've seen in in the film in the past few years. Spectre doesn't quite the, match. Have you seen the theory that Skyfall goes backwards in cinematic history? What's that theory? If right, if you watch Skyfall, you it, it starts and it's it's ultra modern. And then the scaffolding, that's an 80s film. And mm-hmm. it, it goes backwards and, and kind of how it's shot and the setting until he walks into M's office and it's the 50s. <laughs> that's an interesting wow. theory. I like that. Anyway, I think that more or less brings to a close our, 
our review of, of Spectre and our Bond special. We'll be sure to do another one when they get around to releasing the next Bond film, I'm sure. The, just up now is recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going to go for a film that's been new onto Netflix. Um, I saw it for the first time last week. It is Panic Room from 2002. The one with... Um, the Jodie Foster one. Jodie Foster yes. and Kristen Stewart, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, not bad, actually. I only watched that for the first time recently. I thought it was No, yeah. yeah. Uh, how about you, Owen? Uh, yeah, so because of the Maureen O'Hara news, uh, The Quiet Man from 1952, starring also starring John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. Um, as John Wayne travels to Ireland, is retired from boxing, gets in a few scraps over this beautiful local woman, obviously. It's good. 10.20 a.m. on more 4 on Thursday. So it's a quality film. Okay. Tony, yourself. Uh, I'm going to go with the Blu-ray. Uh, that came out on the 27th. It's the uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail um, 40th anniversary Blu-ray, uh, which I'm told is full of, of new extras. It's one of my favourite comedies ever made. Uh, I just love everything about Holy Grail. It's the best Monty Python ever for me. And it, I've been waiting for this Blu-ray for ages since I found out it was coming. So that if you're in for comedy and you want to know more about how they made this, check it out because it's I think it's going to be good. And Brian, it's not new out, but no one else watched it. It's uh, on <laughs> available to rent on YouTube and on Google Play. It's called No No, a documentary about Doc Ellis, who is a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And in the seventies, he threw a no hitter, like a clean sheet, while off his face on LSD. <laughs> and it sounds like that sounds brilliant. <laughs> it, well, you think that and. He did that, and he was part of the first all-black and Latino outfield team for the, the Pirates. But then it goes on to talk about him beating his wife while he was off his face on drugs. It talks about him and his addiction. talks about what he did afterwards. There's a lot of good stories in it, but they do a lot of things very quickly. And I think if we pared it down, it would be much more satisfying. But there's a lot of good things to watch and go... That's a thing that happened. Wow. Okay. Well, that is all for this week's Failed Critics podcast. Thank you to Tony and Brian for joining us. And me and Owen will be back around the same time next week with another podcast. The Failed Critics podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Guess if you like, yeah. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's A. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, do you agree, I... Brian? Do you think that's right? Yep. Yeah, well, it is right. Yeah, you would be correct. It was uh, 142 minutes or two hours, 12 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh... Um, what? 142 minutes is not two hours and 12 minutes. You're right. Two, two hours, hours 22 <laughs> minutes, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus point.
Yeah, another point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well spotted. Um, see, I wrote a blog, some blog articles recently about podcasting. And I said oh, I have to edit out mistakes. Those are usually my own mistakes that I edit out. <laughs> like that. Oh, that one had to stay in. Okay. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.